All right, this is the third and final lesson on this, the, the three areas of ministry, mastery. And this one is master your money. We looked at the first two. The first one was to master yourself, which makes sense. The second one was mastering your family or being a good leader over your spouse, your, your wife, over your children. Uh, if you're a woman, know how to submit and honor your husband and be his helper. The first term to describe woman was helper, help meet. Not Jezebel, not CEO, but helper, a help me, a helper suitable, a helper comparable. And that's what a woman's job is by the design and hand of God. Uh, I just got to play Mr. Mom for three days. Trust me, to tell you you ought to be a wonderful woman of God is not a slight. That is like you need to be a ninja octopus. <laughs> to be able to handle two little girls and do everything else you need to get done. I told you, know, she, Mama was out of town at the ladies' conference and so I said, honey, I will never harass you from Africa again. When I'm gone for 15 and 17 days, I know how busy you are. She, she would text back. She said, I'm sorry, sweetie. I'm not thinking about you right now. I, I'm, I'm busy with everything. I understand that feeling now. It was just 72 hours. So uh, if it sounds sexist to say that you ought to be the woman of God, God made you to be and not a feminist, then you're part feminist. Because I'm telling you, having played mama for three days, y'all are awesome. Mama got home this morning. She went to cook and I felt useless. I just sat there and studied my Bible and got things ready. Mama's in, I said, this, that's, that's my job. That's what I've been doing for three days. And it's gone now. I feel empty. I almost had to fight a little bit of depression. <laughs> Girls got up, ran right past me to hit mama. I've, Abzi was upset yesterday. She's crying. I want my mommy. I said, I'm the only mama you got. She said, I want my other mommy. <laughs> So you master yourself. We covered that. Then you master your family. And now we talk about mastering your money. We take these three points from Timothy and Titus in the qualification list to be elders and deacons because those are ministry leaders. And interestingly enough, the 17 qualifications listed between Titus and Timothy, they break down into three categories. There's no other way to break them down. They break down into three exact categories. One-third of them, not third by number, but one-third of the, the subject discussed is mastering yourself. The biggest subject discussed is you have to master yourself. The second thing, the other big emphasis is being able to be a good leader or mastering your family. If you can't master yourself, you'll never master family. And then the third thing that we're going to cover this morning is money. This is not a prosperity message. This is a discipleship, discipline, wisdom message. We need money. We don't worship it, but you have to master it. Christians shouldn't be in debt like we're in debt. Our, our, our culture is totally against discipline and self-control. They say the average American has eight credit cards and like $60,000 in credit card debt. That's the average American. That's a total lack of ministry wisdom or, or biblical wisdom on money. You should not have that statistic in your life at all. Now, the statistics may have changed. You can look that up and find out what more exactly it is. But I know every time I hear that statistic, I think, whoo. I am nowhere near any of that. I, I, we have one credit card and we might have $300 on it right now. So who in the world is pulling my average way up? Is it you? You should repent and get better discipline in your life. So the late brother Hagen, he was fond of saying, if you want to offend Christians, talk about their weight, talk about their kids, talk about their money. Interesting. That's the three things Timothy and Titus talk about. You have to master as a leader. You're what you're yourself your money, and your family. Amen. So let's look at our lesson here. 
So far, we've covered two areas we must master for ministry and maturity. You may not be called to full-time ministry, but you're called to the ministry of helps to serve in a local church. You're called to hold a Bible study. That's ministry. You're called to serve in the local body. You're called to take a mission trip. That's ministry. You're called to serve in the workplace and be a marketplace minister. That's ministry. You may not be a full-time pastor or missionary or preacher, but you're still called to be a helper and a servant in the kingdom. So if the word ministry still trips you up, how about three areas of maturity? And if you don't work on these, the thing that breaks my heart as a pastor is watching Christians live and die and never go anywhere. Watching them live and die and still smell like the region they were raised in rather than like the kingdom of God. You may live and die in the region you were born in, but you don't have to smell like that region. There's not a holy righteous region in the world, whether it's Tennessee, Texas, California, New York. You ought to be bigger than where you're from because you have the kingdom on the inside of you. Self-mastery and family mastery were the first two. Mastering self, mastering family leadership. Our final area is money mastery. And every one of us, whether you have children or family or not, you have money you have to deal with. It will be impossible to prosper in life as God intends without mastering these three areas of life. And by prosper, we don't just mean money, we mean success. Prosper in your family, prosper in your body, prosper with your substance. One of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is to preach the word over and over again and watch people listen, nod, amen, and then not prosper. Their marriage not improve. Their, their body, their appetites not improve. Their money not improve. Their children not improve. It's a shame to have all the truth of God available to us in his Bible and then we don't do anything with it. We, we almost stubbornly fight to stay the same or to retain the same flavor that we did when we got saved. And Jesus Christ didn't save any of us for us to smell the same later. It's like I, I don't wash clothing to get it out of the washing machine for it to look and smell the same. If you do, you put it back in there, you put hotter water, you add a whole other cup and a half of bleach, and you hope you don't just pull threads out. Amen. You guys know my story about the Carhartt jumper? You find a free Carhartt onesie jumper, you know, a dungaree jumpsuit. You find it under a mobile home. That's a, that's a bad sign. But I always wanted one. It was college, and they're so expensive as a college kid, especially even 20 years ago. But I found it. I held it up. It was stiff as a board, and I said, that looks like that'll fit. <laughs> so it goes home with me, and we wash it once, wash it twice just to be good, and it looks clean, and I wear it. It's December. We're hanging up Christmas lights at the mobile home dealership I worked at, and as soon as I started heating that thing up, not a good smell. So I took it home, washed it again. And after a second wearing, it still didn't smell uh, pleasing. It smelled like somebody had like stuffed a dead deer in the thing and fish. I remember the fish smells distinct. Like who, who goes fishing in a Carhartt and doesn't wash it immediately? Anyway, I got rid of it. We wash you with the word of God every service. So you smell better. You look better. You act better. You smile better. And I don't know what the Lord's going to do with you. If he washes you, nothing changes. I don't, I don't know. So get with the program. I have a quote from Leonardo da Vinci that I found that I love. He was a Christian, tremendous scientist, mathematician, engineer, artist. Of course, he painted the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo, that da Vinci did uh, his, his artwork. But he had this quote, one can have no smaller or greater mastery than mastery of oneself. That's biblical. Of course, you have to go back to our first lesson to see that from the Greek word sophroneo, But you can have no greater mastery than mastering yourself. I wouldn't worry about mastering any hobbies, any sports, any classes if you're not also trying to master your flesh and your sin nature. 
Uh, you, you, the devil's not your number one problem. Your number one problem is yourself, your attitudes, your flesh, your appetites, etc. The following words, and here let's get into our lesson more. The following words are used in our text, and our text was 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, to describe the mature Christian leader. And I love it when the, when the Pauline epistles or anywhere in the Bible gives us a list. I like to use lists as checklists to see how you're doing, whether it's the nine fruit of the Spirit or whether it's the, these 17 qualifications to be a bishop, elder, or a deacon. I like going down these lists to see where I stand and to use them to inspect and judge myself. And you should too. You shouldn't desire to be the same Christian day after day. You ought to be improving. If you're not making hashtag gains in this kingdom, I don't know what your problem is. You've got to be improving. So this is our final subject in these three areas. This is money. So we're going to take these words that Timothy applied to the mature leader and apply it to money and see, we're going to judge ourselves and see where we're at. And you may be 60 years old and horrible with money. You can improve starting today. You don't have to live the rest of your life horrible with money. You can keep getting better. So one of the words we saw in Timothy chapter 3 concerning leaders is vigilance. Nephileon is the Greek word. That's not important to us. But we want to apply this word towards money. So if we're talking about diligence or, excuse me, vigilance concerning money, then let's apply the definition. It means to be sober-minded concerning money. Are you sober-minded? Do you, you should care about your money, not, not worry or fret. The Bible says take no thought for tomorrow. The Bible says be careful or be worrisome for nothing. But are you sober-minded? Do you have a realistic understanding of money? Children do not. Children break things and don't realize how much mommy and daddy had to work to repair that or buy that. Some folks, even adults, they have no idea the value of money. They, they just don't get it. They're totally ignorant. They don't, they don't understand market value. They don't understand the price of repair. A lot of people are totally ignorant when they buy a car. They are not sober-minded concerning money about what it really takes to buy a car and maintain a car. They are so ignorant, all they look at is the monthly note. And, you know, and uh, the, the car dealership will gladly finance a car for you for 86 months. Do you know how long 86 months is? Too long to finance a car. <laughs> but as long as you can get that car payment down to $199 a month, you're good, right? Except you don't look at the gas mileage. You don't look at the maintenance costs. You don't look at the tire repairment costs, replacement costs. So that's not a sober-minded person concerning the value of money and a car. Or getting into a house. Hey, yeah, buy that big old rancher. Buy that big old farm cottage. Have you considered how much it costs to maintain that lot? How much does it maintain, cost to heat and cool that floor space? What's the roof like? How long before the roof needs to be repaired at $15,000? See, some folks are so ignorant about money. They're not sober-minded. They're drunk. They just think it grows on trees or, hey, you know, bless God, I got a 50-cent raise. I can afford a new 2017 Dodge Ram or, or Corvette. You don't know what you're even talking about. I'm talking about adults, not 15-year-olds. Adults. I'm talking about some of you. Amen. Calm and collected in attitude concerning money. You don't freak out. You understand money is a tool. Money comes, money goes, and God brings more to you. The money you have in your account today is not the last money you'll ever see. And if it should all be forfeited tomorrow through the stock market crash or you get laid off, money will come and money will go. Calm and cool collected concerning money. Temperate, that means self-controlled concerning money. That means you, you know what you should buy when you should buy it. If you are a collector of sorts, you need to be very careful. You don't try to find happiness in collecting 
whatever you collect. Some folks, they, it's a psychological condition. They are addicted to spending money. They, 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 it's almost like a, a chemical high for them to go buy stuff. And when their closet is full, they start buying stuff for other people because they really don't want the stuff. They want the high of a new purchase. And they, they've proven it medically. They've proven it psychologically. There's a weird thing that goes on in a person's brain and heart when they swipe a credit card, spending money they don't have to buy a momentary high, whether it's to bless somebody or bless themselves. So you have to be temperate, self-controlled. My wife is our accountant here, and I tell her, you have to tell me where we're at. Otherwise, I'll spend it to build this kingdom. And the second I know where our budget is, it's easy to say no to stuff. It's easy to say no to guest ministers who want to come in. We've only had one guest minister so far this year, and I've told probably half a dozen to ten, I'm sorry I can't have you in right now. I'm in the midst of a building project, and all of our finances is going towards this project, and I cannot afford you right now. And, and sometimes they're not real happy about that because, well, because. And so then I make that mental note and we consider not ever having them back again. If we can't be friends and you respect what I'm doing here by the hand of God, uh, then maybe I don't need to have you back because you're not here for the people, you're here for the offering. That makes you a hireling. And one or two of them I'd like to tell you, and the last three times you came, you didn't contribute anything. So I don't know why I keep having you back. Temperate as concerning money. The kingdom, it's the Lord's money. Amen. Clear-headed. Oh, are you clear-headed when you see that new widget you got to have? When that marketing gurus market that thing, you just can't live without. Can you stay clear-headed or do your eyes just fall in love and you got to have it? Sometimes you can break bankroll or bankrupt yourself at the, at the restaurant and uh, see that uh, chocolate thunder from down under or death by chocolate. 1995, and you just spent 60 bucks on 9,000 calories, but you had a diet soda pop. You made caloric room for chocolate thunder from down under and spent another $9 on dessert. And then if you don't tip, you shouldn't eat out. If you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to eat out. That's how those people make their wages. And they watched you pray over your food, so they know you're a Christian. So if you can't tip, don't eat out. Get it to go. Go sit in a park somewhere. Amen. Clear-headed, free from rash, confused, or fanatical thinking concerning money, capable of sound judgment concerning money. You ever heard that expression, they, they just got money burning a hole in their pocket? I, we, of course, we teach financial stewardship every year for two months. But just because you get a dollar raised doesn't mean you should increase your standard of living a dollar and a half. That is not sound judgment. Just because you get a paycheck now or because you got your tax refund doesn't mean you go buy a new car. You get your tax refund, you should put it in savings. Maybe pray about an offering on it. Maybe go buy the shoes your children need. Why would you use that money as a down payment on a car? That's not clear level thinking. But we live in a poor region and all these check into cash places and all these, these situations like that, even buy here, pay here car dealerships, they prey on people's poverty and financial ignorance. And if you get a 50 cent raise, you ought to be saving 45 cents of it because you're tithing on five cents. The best way to prosper is to tighten up your budget. Amen. And that way, you see, we live in the wealthiest nation on the planet, but we're the most bankrupted nation on the planet because we have no self-control. The total financial assets of the American church is $2 trillion. And I think we probably owe $2.5 trillion. We have a $2 trillion financial asset, as, as one think tank studied, in the American church, and yet we don't 4% tithe 
But a tithe on two trillion would be 200 billion dollars. How much gospel could the church preach for 200 billion? How many missionaries could you finance? How many inner city outreaches? How, how many uh, uh, pregnancy crisis centers could you finance? And yet because we're financially ignorant and we're rash and we're lusty with our money, we have nothing to show for it. The Bible says the Lord wants to bless your storehouse, which means you should have one. He wants to bless your barn. That would be like a checking account, which means you ought to have one. But if you have money and it just burns a hole in your pocket, you are not vigilant concerning the money God gives you. You don't need the latest widgets, gizmos, or gadgets. The iPhone 8 is coming out. They're already talking about the iPhone 10 for the 10th anniversary. They're talking it's going to be the most expensive iPhone ever, a $1,000 phone. Because you don't pay that full a month, you just pay it monthly in your cell phone bill. A $1,000 phone. When in the history of mankind did we ever think we'd have a $1,000 phone? You can buy a whole laptop for $250. And yet, those that can't afford an iPhone 10 will buy it because they, they, their value is wrapped up in their newest phone. If your value is wrapped up in a phone, you have no value. Your value is in Christ, not the newest phone. Get the phone if you can afford it, but if you can't, an iPhone 6 works just as well. It still does a thousand things more than your first phone ever did. Remember Ma Bell? The generation under 35, yeah, that one. Generation under 35 doesn't, under 55 doesn't get this one. I used to make phone calls on the rotary dial. And if you messed up, oh, start over. And if you went to Granny's house, all the numbers were rubbed off anyway. Rubbed off so you're like, one, two, three, four. Hello? Hello? That's the wrong number. Granny, buy a new phone. Yeah. Let's keep going. Also, avoiding sins of excess, therefore restrained concerning money. Judge yourself concerning your finances. God gives you as much money today as he trusts you with. Give him reason to trust you with more. Our second word, sober. This is used in these, this passage of scripture. Sober is our word sophron or sophronio. Uh, this is the most critical word in the New Testament concerning how to beat your flesh. This is the word for temperance. Sophron, it's translated temperance, self-controlled. Uh, sober, sober-minded, but it means desiring what you should, as you should, when you should. That ought to be you and your money. You spend your money when you should, as you should, uh, how you should. And you should get the Lord's permission for every major purchase. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about cereal or lunch, but the Lord may speak to you that you need to stop eating out so much because you're wasting money eating out. We're talking about mastering money. This word, we want to apply this word towards our money, means serious concerning your money. A sofron person is serious in one's senses concerning money, curbing one's desires and impulses concerning money. We invented a term called impulse buy. My dad has always been a very shrewd money man. Of course, his dad was a World War II vet and came through the Great Depression. We still joke about my dad, Papa John. He visits. He doesn't shop. He visits. When he wants to buy something, he visits. I remember when we were in high school in Seattle, he was going to buy the very first camcorder we ever bought. We went and spent five hours visiting or six hours at an electronics store near SeaTac Airport. We played Mario till we were bored of Nintendo while dad visited and studied up on every camera. We still, because he wanted to make the best purchase. There was no impulse buy there. My wife and I, before we had the kids, we went down to Mexico on a vacation. It was one of these timeshare things and we somehow got suckered into the, like the, the sit-in on this thing. And so they are really heavy-handed pushing you 
to get into this timeshare thing, and they just schmooze it. And I, we, we got like a free snorkel ride, so then to get the free snorkel ride, we had to go sit on this timeshare spiel. And so I, I, this guy gets assigned to you, and I said, I just want to let you know right now, you're wasting your time. You, I, you're not going to get a sell off of us today. I really feel bad for you because I know that's how you make it. That's what I told the guy when riding around the trolley, seeing all the timeshares there in uh, Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. So I said, you're not going to get a sell. So we're in this giant room and there's people and they're popping champagne because people are signing away their kids' inheritance to some stupid timeshare. And all around, there's, it's all, it is all psychologically built to get money out of you. And so I looked at him, I said, I'm sorry, I know the word no, and you're not going to get a sell today. So then he reworked it. Well, you said you do mission trip, right, Reverend? Yeah, right. Well, we can actually roll this money over towards airfare. I said, I fly South Africa a lot. Oh, I don't know if that'll work. Yeah, I don't think it will. No. I said, well, do you have anybody's name you could maybe give us? Just help me, man. This is how I make my living. I said, I'll give you a name. John McMichael. <laughs> That's my dad. He taught me the power of the word no. And that guy, we sat there. He just sat there quiet, kind of slumped over because he wasn't getting a sell out of us. No impulse buy. No impulse buy. Do you know what that was? See, Lydia's five. That would have been six or seven years ago. I still get emails every month from that company. That is how tenacious they are. And I just delete, delete. It's so much fun. Delete just to tell them no. Amen. So you have to be self-controlled concerning money, desiring what you should, as you should, when you should, concerning money. Know when you can afford to eat out and when you should eat ramen noodles and beanie weenies. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Temperate concerning money. Discreet concerning your money. You don't go around flaunting it. Uh, There was one preacher that stopped by here a couple years ago. He's not been back. I'm really ashamed of him. He he found out we had, the Scudders said we just sent them to uh, Uganda to be missionaries. And he said, I want to bless him. And he purposely pulled out the biggest wad of money I have ever seen and licked off three $100 bills to sow towards the scutters. That is not a man discreet with his money. What is the purpose of standing in another preacher's office and pulling out a big pimp wad of money? What's the purpose in that but pride, arrogance? Where's the discretion? Why, I mean, if you want to be prideful and have this big wad of cash, all right, fine. But at least turn around and, you know, say, I feel led. Because you know it was $300 bills and the rest were ones. Because that's how those guys roll. There's no discretion there. Why, why do you got to flaunt everything? We don't have to flaunt everything. We can be discreet as concerning money. He had to just free 100, just not, I, honestly, I was disgusted in my heart. I thought, you are not a gospel minister. You are a pimp. That's all you are. Gold chain, pimp. But we'll take your money because it'll preach the gospel. Ugh. Wise control of every thought and instinct concerning money. There's another Greek definition. This is what we have to have if we're going to master money. I've taught you, don't pray for more money. There's nothing wrong with that. Pray for wisdom with the money you do have. What we need more than more money is we need wisdom for the money the Lord has trusted you with. Wisdom to master 24,000 a year. Wisdom to master your college stipend. Wisdom to master your pension. Wisdom to master your retirement. Wisdom to master the income you do have. Because unless something really supernatural happens, you may not get a raise again until the end of the year. You need wisdom. You can have wisdom now. You may not get more money now, but you can certainly have wisdom now to tighten up your budget and live beneath your means. That is the, that's the word of faith, living beneath your means. So then you have extra left over to invest. 
Not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, of course, we understand that. That one explains itself right off the bat. Literally filthy and dishonorable gain. Eager for base gain. Greedy of money. We are not to be that way. You'll really have to resist this if you're a business owner. Because there'll be all sorts of temptations if you're a business owner to cut corners, to rip off clients, to lie, to recycle stuff that shouldn't be recycled. I'm not against recycling if it can be and is permitted in your industry. But if you own your business, there'll be all sorts of new demonic temptations to cut corners to make more money. You ought to honor God more than anything else. Let the Lord see you in private and promote you publicly. Don't rip God off and think you're going to get ahead. As a Christian, it will not work for you. Not covetous. This means love, no love for silver. Uh, no, not loving money or covetous. We just simply, we don't love money. To us, money is a tool. It's a tool that puts our kids through school. It's a tool that puts fuel in the tank. It's a tool that buys an airplane ticket on a mission trip. It's just a tool. We don't love tools. We use them. And we use them to build the kingdom. We certainly don't build an idol out of them and worship the idol and the tool. I've never yet, I've been to a lot of pagan temples and pagan places in Africa. I've never seen one that had a hammer in there that they were worshiping. I've never seen one that had a chainsaw in there they were worshiping. But folks will worship money. And all it is is a paper tool. It's, it's, it's a number. All it is is a system of numbers you use to build the kingdom and take care of your family. That's all it is. Why would you worship something as, as ethereal as a number with a decimal, with an inflation rate bought by the Chinese Sold to the Russians. It's just a number. Of good behavior. This is a term used to describe us, but the Greek word is cosmos or cosmotic. This also describes how our attitude with money should be or what our checking account should look like or our savings account. Actually, I'm convicting myself now. I just, I know where I'm about to preach and I'm like, oh, we have investments and every month I get my monthly statement digital and I, I don't even care. I just hit delete. I should probably do better to know what my investments are doing. I mean, I'm not going to touch them. And I got an investment guy. He's supposed to be watching after me. But I'm thinking, yeah, I should probably know at least what they're doing. I should probably stop deleting all those investment emails that get sent to me. I just crossed my mind. <laughs> yes, Lord, I hear you. I, uh... We'll add it to the to-do list. Apply this word concerning your money. Having a well-arranged life concerning money. So you have a checking account and it's balanced and you know within a good amount how much money is in there. When you have a cosmotic life or cosmion, well-organized, good behavior concerning your checking account, you don't bounce checks. You don't overdraw your account every other day. Amen. Now it happens every once in a while, I get that, but that should be as you're coming out of, of poverty living or streamlined living or low-end living. I've bounced, I used to, <laughs> I bounced tithe checks when I was a single guy and my pastor finally called me in the office and said, this is the second tithe check you've bounced. And he said, what's going on? I said, when I travel, I have to pay for it out of my pocket. And I, I said, I guess the, uh, the reimbursement check hasn't come in yet. I should watch my checking account a little closer. I'm sorry, sir. It's bad when you bounce your tithe check two or three times, but it had to do with all my travel expenses and not getting the reimbursement check because it could cost you, you know, $800, $900, traveling out of town for two weeks and you're paying for it yourself and then waiting for the reimbursement check. When you're cosmotic, when you're of good behavior, you have a good idea how much money's left in there. And you start to get to where uh, there's a big good amount still left in there and it's not just the bare minimum to keep the account open without drawing a, a penalty. 
having a well-arranged life, respectable concerning your money, honorable concerning money, one who disciplines himself and who may thus be regarded as genuinely moral and respectable concerning money. You're not a, a Huck Finn. Was it Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer who tricked everybody into whitewashing his fence? You know, you're not, you're not a con man. You're not a huckster. I guess that would be Huckleberry Finn, huckster. You're respectable with your money. To have one's life in good order concerning your money. Ordered, organized, and well-arranged concerning money. This, this ought to be you. And when you have no money, this is easy to do because there's not much to manage. So you start off in the day of small beginnings when you're making minimum wage. My minimum wage when I started working was four twenty-five an hour. It has gone up significantly since I've grown up or aged. You, you ought to be able to manage your money. If you have none, that's a lot easier to manage than a lot. And if you can learn to manage a little, then as you increase, it'll be easy to manage more and more and more. But if you fail with four twenty-five an hour, if you fail with seven, what's minimum wage now? Six seventy-five. Sorry, seven twenty-five. If you can't manage seven twenty-five an hour, you'll never manage seventeen twenty-five an hour. You'll never manage fifty-seven twenty-five an hour. So start in the day of small beginnings. Let me also let you know this, because maybe you don't realize it. Managing your money will take about four or five hours a week. Now, you can dump Facebook and start to prosper, because Facebook takes about four or five hours of your life a day. So just one day a week, fast Facebook. Your life will improve significantly, because you'll get that albatross off from around your neck. And use that time to manage your money, and you'll start to financially prosper. Facebook doesn't prosper your life at all. Facebook is a prosperity suck. It depletes your life of energy, resources, and time that you could be using to advance the kingdom and yourself. And I said it over and over again. Facebook, you're following people you don't care about and people are following you and they'll never be at your funeral. And on top of that, you're giving Facebook all your personal information and mine, thank you very much. That's why I'm not on Facebook, but yet somehow Facebook has my information. I will go to heaven being able to say I never had a Facebook account and I will wear it as a badge of honor and there will henceforth be laid up for me a crown of righteousness to those that have not bent their knee to the altar of Zuckerberg. Stay on Facebook if you want, but just be disciplined in your use of it. Hospitable. Here's another term that reflects money. You must be hospitable as a mature Christian. There's no permission in the Bible to be an introvert. There's no permission in the Bible to be a hermit or a recluse. The Bible commands and commends hospitality and friendliness. How can you win the loss? How can you fulfill the Great Commission if you're an uh, introvert and if you're a recluse and a hermit, if it's just you and your little hovel and you're never going to have anybody over? The word hospitable is philoxenon, which means loving strangers, loving foreigners. Literally, it means brotherly love towards guests. A fondness for and a natural desire to serve the needs of others. Every Christian ought to be able to open their house, their apartment, their mobile home to a stranger and help take care of them. This will cost money. So that's part of having a budget. You can actually afford somebody extra, somebody's extra meal. And you're not afraid to put them in the empty bed if you need to. Now use wisdom. This is a crazy day we live in. 
You don't just do it to anybody. I used to, in college, I wanted to pick up hitchhikers. I'd always heard of people picking up hitchhikers and witnessing to them. I tried once, and the, I mean, the fear of God came on me as I was pulling over, and I vowed never to do it again. I did help one hitchhiker one time, prayed for him, laid hands on him, and bought him some food, bought his dog some food, and, uh, and, and it was the hand of God. But you can't just do stuff like you could in the 50s and 60s. Uh, today's a crazy day. You got to be led by the Holy Ghost more than ever before. But if we're talking brothers or sisters in Christ, you ought to be able to host them or have them in. Back in, uh, back in August, well, before that, I was contacted by some Californians who wanted to come caving. And I was a little leery of it. I said, uh, now, how did you get my information? They said, an old NSS magazine. That's a caving magazine that my information used to be in. And I said, you just want to come here? They want to come to Tennessee, hang out in Nashville. Will you take us caving? And I was a little leery of all of it. So I had to make sure. I said, I'll take you caving. I'll take you to the caves I know. And if you try anything, I'll stuff you down in one of those holes. And, you know, this, this is weird. It's weird. Contact somebody you don't know and say, can, can, will you take us caving for a couple of days? So I made sure I had a bunch of friends from the caving society that could go as background support. But as, as I got to know them over that period of four or five days I spent with them, they asked me what I did for a living. These are Californians, so you have your stereotypical net up. I was like, these are fruits, nuts, and flakes. He was a lawyer. She's a pharmaceutical doctor, a pharmacist. And uh, so I said, I'm a pastor, but don't worry. I'm not going to try to proselytize you while you're with me. I, we're just here to go caving. Come to find out, he was born again and spirit-filled, grossly backslidden, and used to, be, used to use his law degree to argue in favor of pro-life and anti-gay marriage. But he was so grossly back so that he actually, we had him over to our house by the end of the week. That's where I'm going with the hospitality thing. Here was somebody I was ready to take a gun caving with. And by three days, he's over at my house. We're having dinner with him and his living girlfriend, who very nice people, still keep in touch with him. And they even came to church that Sunday morning. He raised his hand to rededicate that Sunday morning. But you don't get that just being afraid all the time. You should open up your life, open up your house once you, you know, got a gun on your side and you're pretty comfortable that you can take them down. You don't know who you'll win to the Lord. And so uh, anyway, being hospitable will cost money and require a clean home. If you can't clean your home, don't even bother. Nobody wants to come over anyway. You have them over, they're going to probably come over and tell you you need to clean your home. This is another reason not to have pets. Both of my girls have pet allergies. I don't know why we're praying that away. But there's certain people's homes we, we have to be mindful. We, we have to ask them, please put your dog up. We love dogs, kind of, but they make my girl's face swell shut. And uh, we'd love to fellowship with you, but my little girl's more important to me and her health than, you know, being friendly to you and your dog. Love a dog. My girls want a dog now, but, you know, sometimes if, you, if your house is a menagerie, that means a zoo. That's a fancy $5 word for zoo. You're not going to be able to be very hospitable. Pastor Okwoko taught us in Nigeria he could not have a dog because many folks in his culture were afraid of dogs. He said, if I keep a dog for safety and protection, they wouldn't dare, you know, be a mommy or a daddy to a dog because that's weird. The Africans will use the dog for protection inside their compound. He said, if I keep a dog, people won't come to me for help. He said, therefore, I don't keep a dog. Sometimes you got to get over yourself to help other people. Amen. And I keep a pet if you want, but pets will limit your ability to serve God. We, were, we went to the doctor this. I went to the doctor this week and went to the doctor's office for checkup. And I'm opening the door and this lady comes in holding her dog. I'm like, since when do we take dogs into the general practice doctor? And she said, I, I, I'm sorry, I just couldn't leave him in the car. Could you leave him at home? What is the deal? We've made animals people and have perverted the creation. 
Hospitable. All right, let's keep reading. You guys are liking that so much, you and your pets. Pets are made out of meat. Meat rhymes with eat. God said, get the picture. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Amen. Titus. Let's look at Titus said. This is where you get a little more convicting. If you're going to be an elder or a leader or mature in the kingdom, your children cannot be accused of riot or unruly. Your kids can't even be bad with money. Think about that. Your children are not permitted to be bad with handling money. Your respect for money must be caught by your children and then lived out. We're going to look at the word riot here. Don't think about like, you know, uh, Los Angeles riots or, you know, post-football game loss riots. You must make time or must take time to teach your children the rules and discipline of money. If you don't, who will? Apply this word to your children's use of money. So this word riot, originally the word meant hopelessly sick or incurable. It came to evolve, though. It denotes something unusual and unhealthy. It hints at willful and deliberate excess. So when people write, the modern English word for riot means excessive protesting. And it has now evolved into when we talk about riot, we have riot police. And that usually means something's getting destroyed and burned down. Usually when we say the word riot, we mean tear gas and hippie control. You're going to have to have men with shields out there and batons and riot masks and pepper spray and water cannons. But the word usually used to meant just wasting stuff. If you're going to be a leader, your children in your home, now if they're grown, that's their problem. But if they're in your home, they can't be accused. Accused, no accusations about squandering or wasting resources. Willful and and deliberate excess, whether in eating. This would say overweight children are a bad example to the body of Christ. I'm going to say that one a couple times and let it sink in. Overweight children, according to the Greek, are a bad example. Overweight children lack home discipline. And if you teach your children when they're four and five and six and seven what to eat and what to like, they'll always like it and grow up to eat it. This word means deliberate excess, whether in eating, excessive eating, that produces obesity. Excessive drinking produces rotten teeth excessive uh, making money or other actions. You know, you can get so obsessed with the job, we never see your kids at church. Well, they've got a part-time job, pastor. Well, they should honor the house of God. Wastefulness. Should teach your children not to waste things. I got spanked many times for destroying toys as a kid. Then I learned how to hide the destruction. (laughs) But I remember my dad beating the fire out of me because I took a hammer to my matchbox cars. This had been about 1984. He said, son, I work too hard to buy you these toys to come home and find them beat to pieces with the hammer. And so I didn't, they said, your punishment, we're going to spank you and you're not getting any new toys until your birthday. And this was like February. So my birthday's in August. That's six months. That's a long time for a kid not to have any toys. And I remember I had to do a collage and I did it on submarines and we went to Kmart and I bought a GoBot. GoBots were like the pre-transformers. And I bought a GoBot submarine because it was the only submarine we could find. And that thing, I didn't even get to open it. I built a diorama. Mama opened it. She hung it from the piece of fishing line inside the diorama so it looked like the submarine. And then I brought the diorama home and the submarine disappeared because they were going to keep their word to me that if I was in trouble, they weren't going to bend their word because I had started acting nice three months later. I'm so glad my parents kept their word of punishment to me because now I take care of everything I've got. I mean, I polish it. I clean it. I teach our girls to do it. It makes for wealth because you don't have to replace everything. Do not let your children break what you had to work hard for. That's poverty. 
You've been to our Poverty Hills. What do you see? Broken down junk. And now I'm not against yard sales, but where do the poorest people usually do most of their shopping? At yard sales to buy broken down junk. Now I'm not against yard sales. You can get some good deals, but don't let that be the only place you want to aspire to. I'm not against Goodwill. You can get some good stuff at Goodwill if you know what to look for. But don't let that be the height of your purchasing experience. Let's see. Wastefulness, excess, dissipation. The Septuagint usage implies gluttony. That comes back to obesity. Now, we've had lots of discussions as pastors, which is worse, pornography or obesity? Pornography can be hidden. Obesity can't. We got a lot of fat Christians, but we got a lot of porn addict Christians too. Both of them are a lack of self-control and application of the word. All right, like Brother Hagin said, talk about their money, talk about their weight, talk about their kids, talk about their fat kids, wasting money. Woo, you got a trifecta to make every parent happy. Your kid's fat, waste money, and they're disrespectful. No, <laughs> we're just trying to improve the standard of the kingdom. It implies gluttony, debauchery, unsavedness, being wild. Your kids should never have the reputation of being wild. Now, children are children, and they have energy, and they need discipline, but they should not be accused of being wild kids. NIV uses the word prodigality, wastefulness or reckless extravagant, spending money or resources freely or recklessly, profligacy, there's a word the modern English user doesn't know, recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources. That's our definition for riot. Make sure none of this is in you. You are strict, you are disciplined, you take care of your stuff, you're strict and disciplined with your body. You you know, you can waste money on food. If you're full, you don't need to eat. We were in uh, Kenya at that fancy resort And uh, because Dr. Miklos wanted to stay there before we came home. So we stayed there for two days and two nights. And so it was an all-inclusive, very fancy, just it's a resort. It's a resort that's all over Africa. It's for the high-end Europeans and I guess North Americans. But every meal was included. It's very extravagant food. And uh, I remember there's one day where I was sitting at the pool reading a book about David Livingstone. And Dr. Miklos said, come on, brother, it's time to eat. I said, I'm not hungry. He said, but brother, we paid for the food. I said, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat if I'm not, but it's European food. I said, well, I'm not a hungry. Go have food by yourself. I'm going to sit here and read this book. And he was, it kind of bugged him that we had paid for this, but I wasn't eating it. I was like, what's the point of eating if I'm not hungry? There's no point. You can waste money. It was already wasted, but I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to waste it twice. Just because it's there, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat it. Some folks are looking for another excuse to eat. I just ate 20 minutes ago. There's a hot dog in there calling my name. How can I say no? Flesh. Put a knife to your throat. Final word. Not fond of sordid gain, which is what the King James calls filthy lucre. Titus uses the same expression. Sordid gain. A repeat of 1 Timothy's quality, but NAS uses the word sordid. It means wicked, selfish, self-seeking, base methods, morally ignoble. This means you avoid all dishonest gain. You don't cheat your time card. You you don't um, cheat your expense report. You're honest. I used to have to bill my cell phone when I worked for the engineering firm. And if it wasn't a company phone call, I didn't bill the company for it. You could have easily ripped off the company and billed stuff that wasn't theirs. I could have easily billed tanks of gas that weren't theirs to be spent. You have to be honest. And all this is a measure of character. Character is what you do when nobody's looking. Character is how you live when nobody's inspecting your work. And if you operate better when people are around, you have low character. 
Your character ought to be the same regardless of whether anybody's looking over your shoulder or not. Now, that's something you have to grow up into. But you shouldn't need inspection unless you're asking for it because you're learning a set, a skill set. But you ought to be just as pure if Jesus is standing over your shoulder. If he's not, because Jesus is on the inside of you, he doesn't stand over your shoulder. He props your shoulders up. And therefore, if you're going to master money, this is talking not just about discipline, but morality concerning money. What ruins all politicians is money. Washington, D.C. is utterly corrupt. And even it's like a corrupt bowl of vegetable soup. We can vote in a fresh vegetable, but six months after being in D.C., it's a corrupt zucchini. It's a corrupt carrot. It's a corrupt potato because it's corrupt. It's all about money. They go in there, middle income, the politicians do, they come out multimillionaires. And I'm not against money, but if you're doing, if you're making bad political decisions so you can get lobbyist money, you're corrupt and you're a pervert and I curse you. You don't deserve the office you stand in and God will judge you for it too. This word tells us we're not fond of wicked gain. We do things uprightly. We give two-week notice to our boss. Don't let any new boss try to talk you out of a two-week notice at your former boss. That's a sign you shouldn't work for that person. If they don't want you to give a two-week notice, they're corrupt. An honest boss full of integrity understands you owe your previous employer a two-week notice. Don't let them talk you out of it. I remember I, I, my, one of my first interviews as a geologist was with a big international environmental firm. And... That guy's last name was Archer. I remember his first name. He was a tech grad, which is how I got the inside scoop. He was the president of the office in Oak Ridge. And I sat down to interview with him. And I was asking him all these questions. And we were talking hydrology and groundwater contamination. And I remember asking him, he said, do we have any questions about our company? And I remember I couldn't find the words. It was like God struck me, my mouth dumb. And I said, um, and I was looking for, I was looking for uh, uh, ethical how ethical was the environmental company? Because this was the height of the environmental cleanup movement. And I knew they were cutting corners. I couldn't find the word ethical. So I said, how corrupt is this company? And I went, ooh, that came out harsh. He said, you mean unethical? Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. He said, we are not, I will not tolerate any uh, un, uh, unethical behavior at all. We, we operate at the highest level of conduct and propriety. And I said, okay. I never got the end. I never got the job. Yeah, that's not a question you should ask. How corrupt. How, I think I said crooked. How crooked is this company? Come to find out, uh, doctor, the, the professor I mentioned the other day in service, he used to, when he was a uh, DOE oversight guy, he used to nail them all the time for cutting corners and corruption at the federal government level. He said, that man's so corrupt, he'd sell his grandmother for a nickel if he could. So it was almost like just the word of the Lord came out of my mouth. It's like this donkey braid. Yeehaw, corruption. And I... I got a bigger vocabulary than to use that in a professional interview. Yeah, you don't want to work for a company like that. Money must not be our motivation, nor should money be one of our hidden agendas. The Bible declares the pursuit of money will pierce our lives through with many sorrows, but not having a mind for money will produce a bankrupted home and ministry. So there's a balance there. You don't pursue it, but you also can't ignore it. These three areas must be mastered if we are to be found suitable to help oversee a local church and then earn a church of our own or a ministry or a promotion. Amen? That concludes this three-lesson curriculum on three areas of ministry mastery. Father, we thank you for allowing us to teach these lessons. May we master ourselves. May we master our family. May we master our money and glorify you with these three areas of stewardship. Bless all those that are here and all those that listen to these lessons in the future via the pod school. In Jesus' name, amen.